and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and today's topic is the topic of relationships, particularly family relationships, with a focus on parents and children and the relationship between couples. And to talk about relationships and how to be able to relate better, particularly with those closest to us, I'm very pleased to have Dr. Ann Scheibert, author of the Let's Make a Contract book series, joining us today. Thank you for joining us this morning, Dr. Schiebert, and thanks for uh, shedding light on the important topic of relationships. You are so welcome. I am so happy to be here with you, Ron. I might add that on November 21st, Dr. Schiebert will begin hosting her own program, Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio, here on America's Web Radio. So welcome to the America America's Web Radio family, Anne. Thank you. It's such a pleasure for me to be able to do this show. Why don't we start off by sharing uh, with listeners what they can expect to hear when tuning into Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. Well, what I'm doing right now is uh, creating a format, and I wouldn't mind listener input, and soon we will have a a question page up on your web on the America's Web Radio website for input if anybody has any. But what I'm thinking about is having the first segment be about a timely topic, such as today's timely topic is um, lawnmower parenting. So that's a hot one today. And then the next two segments would be having a guest and interviewing them on, on a lo- an array of topics. And then the last segment I would like to to devote to answering questions that listeners have written in, and I think that would be an interesting program. I think that would be a very interesting program because uh, getting that feedback um, with people um, posing, oh, we'll call it real uh, challenges, uh, not necessarily problems, but challenges, and having you address those challenges because you've done this uh, for actually uh, many years, in fact, uh, you have a great deal uh, of education in the field of uh, clinical psychology, and uh, you've spent over 25 years working with teens and young adults and families uh, in the areas of cl- uh, chemical dependency, codependency, dual diagnosis, and trauma. And essentially, uh, as a doctor of clinical psychology uh, working in a ma- major HMO on the West Coast, uh, and in its emergency department, uh, you've done a great deal of psychiatric uh, crisis uh, care. So you're extremely well qualified uh, to have your program. And I think uh, focusing on relationships is going to be helpful to a lot of people. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Uh, in fact, I just offered an overview. But if you want to talk about uh, the range of your practice uh, today, and the areas of expertise. Why don't you share a little bit of that with us? Well, I think you said it all, um, pretty much. The work in the emergency department has taught me so much over time. I've seen things in the emergency department that I would never have seen in the mental health clinic. So I am also the main trauma specialist in the HMO in, in our area, and I believe that trauma is sort of an untreated phenomenon that we need to be more sensitive to. 
Well, chemical dependency issues and codependency issues. Codependency is an area that seems to be ignored, but I think it is a real serious thing. Well, in fact, um, we had a conversation uh, prior to today's program, and I mentioned to you that a uh, both a friend and a, uh, a former guest, Dr. Ken Miller, mentioned uh, to me that in the ER, uh, where where he oversees emergency medicine at a very large um, North Atlanta hospital, he thinks there's a real shortage of uh, support in the area of uh, clinical psychology uh, and counseling for what is coming in the door um, on an increasing basis. Uh, And we'll talk a little bit later about how there are many, many communities which uh, suffer from an epidemic of uh, teenagers uh, experiencing uh, challenges that have led them uh, or in some cases experimentation that have led them to being drug dependent and uh, he's uh, seeing uh, a lot of uh, trauma in that area. Is that your experience as well? Absolutely. It's not just the trauma of the patient. It seems to be the trauma of the family. Of course, trauma is not able to be treated in an emergency department. So I'm very fortunate that I have the mental health clinic to work through out of. And I've also become, uh, I'm almost certified in brain spotting, which is a new treatment, fairly new treatment for trauma, and it's pretty quick. And I'm also certified in um, uh, cognitive processing therapy, which is the trauma treatment that the military uses for its um, active duty and vets. Um, Tell us a little bit about brain spotting. Well, brain spotting is very interesting, and it was discovered by David Grand, and you can go and look at his YouTubes. I suggest anybody who's interested in this do that. And brain spotting um, evolved because uh, David Grand, Dr. Grand, was an EMDR specialist, and he was treating an ice skater for a long time and had, uh, like, two or three times a week meetings with her because she was having (coughs) performance issues. So he was looking at her eyes and how they were going back and forth, and he noticed that they uh, came to rest on a certain spot. And from that discovery, Dr. Grant evolved this wonderful therapy called brain spotting that is where you look, is how you feel and that the spot that you select to look at will lead your brain to what you need to work on. It's a very interesting, lovely process. And it's not so much talk therapy. I have learned that many people are not auditory learners. They're um, more visual learners and there's really very little talking involved in brain therapy. I mean in brain spotting. Well, you know, and many of our listeners know that I have uh, some academic background in in biology and biochemistry and biomechanisms of the brain and clinical and social psychology, even though I'm a radio host for a business program. And you and I chatted, and don't you think it's uh, true, or you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the field of clinical psychology is, is constantly trying to become more and more 
evidence-based uh, and, and scientific in the same sense that the field of psychiatry is trying to incorporate some more qualitative aspects of psychology into the psychiatry framework. And the whole notion of brain spotting, uh, which is one more evidence-based uh, aspect of the field, and you um, working particularly in the emergency uh, department are someone who has a good grasp of some of the, those physical mechanisms. So in many cases, it's not just uh, uh, social medicine. It's actually crossing over into um, biochemical and, 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 uh, and actual medicine. Is that true? Uh, yes, it absolutely is, and I am fortunate to work with uh, physicians who are addiction specialists who know all the brain chemistry, and, and so that combined with treatment in the clinic is lovely, and it really helps the patients, but we can't do that in the emergency department. It's more like a diagnosis, or do you need to be sent to a mental hospital or not? That's kind of what I decide, and what would your treatment be that would be helpful? that we can provide you. And I would imagine that you are really becoming an expert and one of only a handful, um, not just across the country but around the world, that are in that position working with an emergency department where you're making that kind of assessment, which is ever so important because, you know, people come to emergency rooms and emergency departments for an emergency, and oftentimes that emergency is pain. But the pain that comes with a mental condition can sometimes just be so debilitating, and the evaluation of it is not always, because we're talking about the brain. We're talking about uh, uh, aspects of behavior and feelings that one might have and emotions. It's just not as easily diagnosed. And so you are becoming one of the experts in that ability to make uh, an early assessment and, and help people um, move in the right direction for uh, medical support or for clinical psychology support. Because as you say, you can't treat it always in that immediate moment. Uh, you're having to assess someone and, 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 and guide them in the right direction. Well, I'm part. I'm so lucky to be part of, of an embedded team at the hospital, the ED emergency department where I work. And um, uh, over time, I've been doing this for about 16 years in the emergency department. Over time, I've really watched the difference between emotional and physical pain, which is some kind, sometimes confused. And so people come in because they're in just great emotional pain, but it's coming out in a physical way. But the, the seat of it is emotional pain, and that's something we definitely cannot treat in the emergency department. You know, it's a term we don't hear very often a anymore, but I, I, I think it's probably still um, appropriate to use the term psychosomatic. And... Uh, we're we're still only scratching the surface on on the physical manifestations of some medical uh, or rather mental conditions, uh, wouldn't you say? Yes, but I think I don't want to pathologize folks who whose emotional pain is coming out physically. So, psychosomatic 
illness is really an illness. And sometimes I think that term has had a bad insinuation attached to it. So it's uh, important to, to figure out, you know, is it emotional pain? Is it physical pain? Is it a combination? And how can we help you? Right. I mean, therein lies the challenge uh, of, of uh, your role in that entire process of uh, assessing uh, and, and helping someone on the road to uh, healing, if you will. Um, we're going to continue to talk with Dr. Scheibert about uh, various areas of mental health and relationships. And when we come back, we're going to talk uh, about her book series, Let's Make a Contract, We'll be back right after this break. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me and i am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not so fun experience moving call timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience around town movers for that local or cross-country move timothy around town movers in my opinion are the best that's around town movers Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Dr. Ann Schiebert, a clinical psychologist and someone who is focused on relationships, relationships with the family, relationships particularly with parents and children, and the relationship between couples. And she is actually written a series of books entitled the let's make a contract book series and let's start off uh and by having you share with us why you named it the let's make a contract series and then we'll talk about uh, some of the books in the series well i named it let's make a contract from my own personal experience with my then 18 year old son when i discovered he was a drug addict and I was devastated I didn't come from a family of drug addiction but I thought there is something that I'm not doing that needs to be done in this family so I went back to graduate school and I went to um, his residential 
care facility and I learned and I actually got hired by his residential care facility and I started with the idea of like what is missing between parents and teens with substance abuse issues and it seemed to be communication and um, unknown expectations by the teens because the parents don't communicate them in a very concrete way and the teen brain is not developed to make wise decisions so leaving a teen on their own to make decisions in unknown circumstances is very is something they can't do so we started making contracts and oh my gosh they worked and I was kind of shocked and very pleased that they were working and parents would come back and go wow well we took the door off so-and-so's room and um, our kid hated that and so they are kind of changing their way or or they got more defiant and then another consequence would come in and so I teach this and I have written books about it now because it works for almost everything and we can even make a contract with ourselves and uh, I teach it in my codependency classes where people come in, parents come in, uh, about their adult and teen uh, substance abuse relations, and they start putting structure and ending the chaos in their life. So it was a mixture of personal experience and being very blessed to have as many wonderful patients as I've had. Well, you know, I think... Uh and we chatted about this briefly uh, prior to the program, but, you know, communication is so very important. Uh, and it might sound uh, a little simplistic, but um, a lot of parents don't really communicate uh, very well with their children. And the whole idea of having uh, setting parameters in, in the form of expectations, uh, which it sounds like that's the basis for the contract. I, you know, it, it's it's also simple, but evidently it's something that you have found really uh, helps. Um, so uh, communication and, and unknown expectations uh, uh, sounds to be a really um, uh, very, very useful concept at the core. Let's now turn to... Uh, the books themselves, and we'll be coming right back to uh, dealing with uh, addiction. You've written Getting Your Teen, uh, or rather, Let's Make a Contract, Getting Your Teen Through Substance Abuse. Let's Make a Contract, Getting Your Teen Through High School and Beyond. Let's Make a Contract, Getting Your Teen Past the Opioid Epidemic. And let's make a contract getting through unhappy romantic relationships. So take those one at a time. And (laughs) in addressing getting your teen through substance abuse, which we've touched on, uh, you know, one point that that occurred to me and and that I have discovered in in my years, uh, and it it hasn't been recent, but in the the past uh, when I was a clinical associate, at a at a center for substance abuse and suicide, um, I realized that uh, even the very very best, the most loving, supportive families can still have a child that develops a substance abuse problems. And and do you agree with that, Anne? 
Oh, absolutely, because I thought I was a good parent, and look what I ended up with. Uh, so peer pressure is big, and we have to think about peer pressure. Peer pressure comes from teens, your teen's age, that has the same maturity and brain development that your teen has. So why I started this is I developed this concept called preemptive parenting, and it's about getting ahead of the trend and educating your teen with what your expectations are before they are um, faced with a situation that they don't know how to handle. And one of my favorite examples is here, smoke a joint. Everybody's doing it. It's legal where I am. It's legal in many states, so let's do that. So I have a whole chapter in my book about substance abuse that has to do with how marijuana affects the development of the teenage brain, and it's abysmal. But So the whole point of all these contract books, except for the romantic one, is getting is preemptive parenting, getting ahead. Now, today I refer to a new topic called lawnmower parenting. Are you familiar with that, Ron? No, let's uh, have you share with all of us what the lawnmower parenting uh, is all about. So lawnmower parenting is about mowing over the um, responsibility for your team's bad decisions and taking those consequences as a parent onto yourself. So your team goes free. You've lawnmowered over the issues in school and relationships and sports, and you have quote, rescued, which I don't really consider it a rescue, your child or young adult from learning. Because if there's no consequences, what's the lesson that you'll save me? So this is sort of the anecdote to um, lawnmower parenting, because lawnmower parenting doesn't work and it doesn't do any favors for the, the kids that we're trying to raise to be independent, healthy, functioning members of society. Well, it's a it's a it's a superficial uh, approach to uh, to a problem with uh, if you pardon the expression deeper roots. Um, let's let's talk. We can we can come back because there is some relationship between the awkward uh, years in high school and helping your your team get through high school and beyond. And then later we'll talk about uh, this current opioid epidemic, but. Let's let's move on to, to your book. Let's make a contract, getting your teen through high school and beyond. And um, I, I'd personally say that these times are really tough for high school students or, or even younger students. Uh, uh, between in-person and cyberbullying and, and gamers who, who just tune out from the real world uh, and peer pressure, which you, you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, all of these things, uh, peer pressure to be experimental, if you will, uh, it's not easy for, uh, for young people to stay on track. Um, would you say that's a fair statement? I would say that was uh, right on the mark because kids don't have <coughs> the training to keep themselves on track. So they'll do anything they can to do what's popular, to do what's easy, and we parents, and boy, we parents are so stressed out with jobs and the world as it is today, but we parents have an additional responsibility to provide structure for our kids. 
to make sure that structure is unwavering and to school our children in what our family values are and what the expectations are. And on top of that, and most parents that I know, <coughs> we need to figure out what is going on in high school. There are so many scary things that are going on in high school. Are you familiar with all these teen challenges? Uh, I well, I am, and I occasionally okay. will hear about uh, one of the popular ones, uh, you know, or at least something that's trending. So tell yeah. us, tell us, tell us what you're experiencing in the way of uh, uh, how that's affecting teens. Well, one of the most popular ones is called pill parties. So you raid your parents' medicine chest, don't know what you're taking, or your grandparents, and sometimes. People are going into open houses and raiding the medicine chest of the sellers of the property that's open to get these pills. And then they go to a party and they put all the pills in a container and then they take some. And it's a mixture. And that is such a dangerous game, but it's really popular and it's used to get high. If we parents don't know that that's going on, and we don't have a conversation with our teen about, I've just heard about this really concerning thing, and here's our family values around it. Here is our, our guidelines, and if you decide not to follow those or respect them, then here are the consequences. You know them up front, so you can either choose to follow the guidelines, or you already know the consequences. You can choose those, your choice. And this takes so much of the argument out of life. And arguing with our young adults and teens, I don't know about the rest of you, your listeners, but I rarely win those arguments. And as a clinician, I never enter those arguments because I know I won't win. Well, uh, I think, and again, you can tell me whether or not you agree, but I, I think that in a world of abundant uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, perhaps uh, too many being prescribed too often, uh, there's r- r- an abundance in any given medical or uh, medicine cabinet and, and in the drawers of, of, of so many bathrooms. And you combine that with the peer group pressure to be experimental, so you have these two things at work, you know, the supply and the behavior of uh, experimentation without guidelines—it's—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's, it's got to be a very bad formula that you're having to deal with all the time. What are the guidelines around that? Who pays for insurance? If you're sharing a car with your teen, who's going to fill the gas tank? How, what are the rules about college? Do you have, a, have to have a particular grade point average? So this, these contracts are all in the book. And the reason I continued on the contract is parents would come to me and they'd say, well, those are just going to be my, I don't know what to do. So that would be turning from a window instead of preempting it. So that's how I created the, the car contracts. And if you get a DUI, I'm, I'll make up something. We're not going to rescue you. And we're not going to bail you out. And here's what you'll be faced with, because you may not drink and drive. It puts your life at risk and everybody else on the road. 
So it's in a way uh, a compilation of things that high school students and parents might be faced with, and the parents might not know that they're going to be faced with it. Well, it would seem that, you know, the consequences of uh, g- getting the DUI, of, m- of being uh, hauled off uh, to spend a little time in jail, uh, it, it would seem to be pretty extreme. But at the same time, if that happens early in the arc of someone's life uh, that could lead to much more serious substance abuse, it's really part of the, the remedy, if you will, uh, to getting someone to understand the consequences, w- wouldn't you say? Oh, I, I would definitely bring out everybody, every parent, everybody who's involved in making a contract has to make up their own consequences. So I tend to go to the extremes, but the other truth is that many of the parents I treat have rescued their young adults out of jail. They hired attorney, an attorney to get them off, and the college student in this case goes back and does another DUI. There's no real learning. We uh, have to somehow come to terms in a kind way with how to teach our offspring about consequences. And we'll, we'll, we'll actually talk more about that. Uh, we're going to be taking a break. We're here with Dr. Ann Scheibert, and we've been talking about her series, the Let's Make a Contract book series, and we'll talk more about that right after this break. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. The disease of addiction is a life-altering... The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? and what is the best place to go for the care that is needed. We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Dr. Ann Schiebert, um, I will um, remind uh, my listeners that on November 21st, uh, Dr. Schiebert will begin her uh, own program, Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio, here on America's Web Radio. So uh, go to the website, www.americaswebradio, and uh, check to see um, what time the program will be. And let's uh, get back to talking about her series, the 
uh, book series, Let's Make a Contract. We've talked about Let's Make a Contract, getting your teen through substance abuse. And we can segue into getting your teen through uh, high school and beyond. But before we do that, um, I want to ask uh, Dr. Schubert if um, you agree that one of the most important things in this whole uh, process of uh, being supportive of your, your teenager is to, to at least be aware of changes in behavior or something which would lead you to believe that uh, your child is uh, facing some challenges, uh, maybe uh, actually in the grips of an addiction, uh, and that that awareness is, is one of the first steps uh, to uh, then developing some sort of structure that helps the teen to have that training that you talked about because um, uh, a teenager is so ill-equipped very often that there is chaos and there's no direction. So uh, I would think that uh, having some sort of an awareness uh, and that might come through communication is is really paramount. Do Do you agree with that? Oh, I totally agree. And uh, I'll tell you one of my patients, uh, a true story. Her son was like a B-minus student, and she noticed that he would come home from school and sleep the rest of the night. And then she just thought, oh, well, that's a growing spurt. Well, it wasn't. It developed into a huge addiction. But had she caught it earlier, it probably would have been nipped in the bud there. And had she been aware, she, she was really ignorant about the topic of um, substance abuse, of uh, the signs of substance abuse or depression or whatever it was, she could have gotten our, her teen help. And, you know, as, as parents, our job is to be really respectful and kind in, in having these conversations with our kids and to help them structure themselves. But if we're not kind and respectful, respectful in the process of that, we lose our team. And 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 what do you, what is uh, your advice to a parent um, who might have a strong sense, or maybe not even a strong sense, that something could be out of balance, and in fact, it 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 very well may be out of balance, but whether it is or is not, um, but particularly in the case where something is wrong. And they so often hear, oh, mom, it's nothing. What yeah. advice do you give to them when they hear that? I have a great sentence for that. I believe that you think that. But I am your mom, and I love you, and we're going to go explore this more. And do you feel like you could talk about it with your partner or your dad or whoever? your aunt, your grandpa, and if the answer is no, which it usually is because it's resistance, well, I think that we need to have a third party help, and we're going to go do that. Now, remember, if you have a child who's under 18, they really don't have a vote. And, And having that third party and a safe place to talk about something is really important. Many children and teens are really embarrassed if they're being bullied at school or if they have no friends. And they don't want to share that with their parents 
if they surmise that they, their parents might think that, that, that they're a failure. There's a lot of lonely kids on our, our campuses and at high school, and especially in junior high. That's a huge transition area. Yeah, I would imagine that loneliness is, is uh, also one of today's ep- epidemics. And, 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 and before we go down that path, because we're t- going to be talking about uh, your book, Getting Your Teen Through High School and Beyond, I, I, I wonder if you'd uh, agree with this statement, and that is that, that be, well, you essentially said that your, your teenager uh, who might be resisting, uh, if they're under 18, uh, they're still uh, a child which is in your uh, control, if you will, and, and you have to take charge in the face of that resistance and, and maybe err on the side of exhibiting both concern and, and taking action. Well, absolutely, because our, we have to convey that it's not a punishment to go talk to somebody, and maybe our family needs help. The minute we make our team the identified patient, that becomes a shame issue. So, And it usually is a family issue. So taking the family in to help solve whatever it is going on, and you don't have to tell me, but... We're going to give you the privilege of talking to a third party. And then I just want to say this caveat. If your team does not like the person that they're going to see, you've got to find somebody else because they won't talk. I experience this in the emergency department most a lot. Um, some people don't like me. Some people <laughs> think I'm fabulous. But they won't, they'll talk a lot less. And especially if it's an adolescent, they they need to have somebody who they think is pretty cool and who gets them. I agree. I um, yeah. I have found that uh, oftentimes uh, it, it's a phrase that I I developed. Uh, uh, I'll see if I can use a, a slightly different language to uh, address that. But I think that there are many people who uh, behave inappropriately in varying degrees, and that might just be that they are not someone who is very friendly in an appropriate way around uh, their friends or family uh, because they had not been told a sufficient number of times by someone who was meaningful in their life that they were acting inappropriately. Yeah. Do you think that 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 bears any... uh, any credence? Well, oh, I think it's right on. We give it a pass. So if they're not acting appropriately and I'm tired and I ignore it, it goes into what I call the okay corral. And what hangs out in the okay corral are things that are not okay that right. I have given a pass to. Right. It's really hard to get things out of the okay corral because once you've done it, especially with a teen, it's like, well, you let me do it before. Why can't I do it now? And it turns into a big argument. So, yes, I agree with you. And and um, also, um, I um, I think that um, a lot of times uh, teenagers uh, just need. Uh, well, it's it's it, this is also going to seem a little bit simplistic, but it's it's even as you're bearing down on your teenager and and and. Uh, uh, imposing some structure, uh, they've got to have a sense of 
what I call unconventional love. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? I think providing structure for one's teen is one of the most loving things parents can do. And the teens will come back and they may say, I just hate you. And here's my sentence that I'll give the gift to the listeners. is, I believe you feel that way. Because why argue with that? They're just telling you how they feel. So uh, our job is to, in a kind way, do what you're saying and to provide some safety. It's not safe out there if I'm 17 years old and having to make adult decisions that I'm not equipped to do. And I believe you feel that way as a way of acknowledging their reality. Yeah, so we can't say it in a snarky way either or in a condescending way because that won't get the result we want. Thank you for telling me that I really believe that you feel that way, that you hate me. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? And usually the answer is no, and then it might be time for a third party. (laughs) But I want to go back to the OK Corral for a minute because this also applies to adults. If I'm in a relationship and I allow somebody to call me a four- or five-letter name, that goes into the OK Corral. And I can suffer with that because I didn't do anything about it, or I can nip it in the bud right there. Right. Um, And do you also find that sometimes in uncovering what a parent... Uh, would uh, uh, ascribe to a child as uh, a uh, a problem uh, that that problem uh, reveals a larger and you kind of alluded to this uh, a larger family dysfunctionality does that happen a lot that happens a great deal of the time because um, if I can create an identified patient the person in the problem with the problem in my family, then it's not having anything to do with me. But, you know, families are a component unto themselves. So I really think that most of the problems are seated in relationships with parents or some kind of parenting issue. This is not to blame parents. God knows it's hard to raise our kids, especially in this... uh, frantic workforce and what's going on in the world today, but um, we have to remain calm and structured. Oh, I think calm and structured is a, uh, a, <laughs> a, a really, really, really uh, smart uh, thing to be aware of. We're and I want to go- add one more thing. If oh, that's do you want to hold that, and We're going to be sure. taking a break, and, and hold on to that thought. We're do- here with sure. Dr. Ann Schiebert, and we're talking about her uh, her work as a uh, clinical psychologist uh, helping uh, teenagers and families be more functional and communicate better and healthier. Um, We'll be back with Dr. Ann right after this break. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Dr. Ann Schiebert, and we've been talking about her book series, Let's Make a Contract, uh, Let's Make a Contract, Getting Your Teen Through Substance Abuse, Let's Make a Contract, Getting Your Teen Through High School and Beyond. We're going to be talking about getting your teen past the opioid epidemic and also uh, getting through unhappy romantic relationships. But before the break, you had something, Ann, that you wanted to share, and I, I believe you were... Uh, going to be addressing that uh, topic I raised about larger family dysfunctionality? Yes, I was going to say that um, if you set a guideline in your family uh, for your kids and you don't do it, what you're teaching your kids is it's okay to disrespect what you said because you're not respecting what you said. And this, the, the lack of follow-through on what adults to their young adults and teens and children is so critical and we have to be um, in line with what we say. We have to walk our talk so that we become believable, that the kids know that what we said is going to happen is going to happen and that the structure is there to protect them. That's all. Yes, I think that you know setting those expectations and then having actual follow-through um, is a great, uh, uh, a gr- you know, an important uh, aspect to uh, to getting on track. Um, we <clears throat> were talking about uh, substance abuse uh, early on, and at the core of today's most uh, one element of today's most extreme uh, teenager uh, epidemics is the opioid. Uh, Epidemic, and you know, with the harsh reality of a growing supply of cheap and synthetic drugs, it's no wonder that teenagers are getting hooked on opioids. And uh, you know, as we said, that problems with teenagers uh, has no demographic boundaries. Uh, in fact, uh, here in the uh, well-to-do suburbs of North Metro Atlanta, we've seen uh, report after report of uh, suicide from overdose. Uh, 
tell us uh, why you think this is and, and, and a little bit about the guidance that you offer to both uh, teens and parents, some of which we've already talked about. Well, first let me give you a little bit of information. So in 2015, 33,000 overdosed from opioids. In 2016, 53,000 overdosed from opioids. And the current information is not out, but it goes up every single year. Here's what I found in writing this book, this piece of uh, research from the University of Michigan that um, found that the legitimate use of opioids taken by the 12th grade, uh, by 12th grade adolescents. And these adolescents had no interest in drugs, no interest in smoking marijuana, and they took the prescription, the opioid prescription, as prescribed. They had a 33% more likely chance to misuse opioids by age 23. Now, that was astonishing to me. And so I'm, I'm thinking that opioids are good in some way, but boy, can they hijack a life. And then more research showed that if you take a Tylenol or an over-the-counter pain medication, that most of the time, not when you're coming out of surgery, but most of the time for the aches and pains that we all have, a Tylenol and I have no financial interest in Tylenol, but something like that will deal with the pain just as well as the Vicodin. So I think that the American culture's idea of take a pill to make it better is not accurate. And so part of my book is about skills, not pills. What can we do, especially for our young and and ourselves, um, to help Take away this predominant use of opioids if you have a toothache. And that was a major concern. And we have to get our teens past this because take a pill and it'll be better is just uh, prevalent in our culture right now. Well, and, and fortunately, I think there are some physicians that have uh, come to recognize what may, might be characterized as uh, the error in their ways of, uh, of overprescribing. When, when in fact, in many cases, um, the the non-addictive uh, uh, prescription is more appropriate and even more appropriate than that is is having them come see someone like you, uh, where you can actually work on uh, the problem as opposed to uh, just the symptoms. Um, and I want to turn to your your uh, book. Uh, Let's make a contract. Getting through unhappy romantic relationships and. You know, we've come just about to the end of the program, so we're 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 uh, we're not uh, being uh, as uh, fair uh, in giving weight to this area. But in a sense, it's a teaser for your upcoming program, Doctor Ann's Relationship Radio, by just uh, uh, touching on this very briefly. Um, when you and I chatted uh, prior to the show. Uh, I said to you uh, that it seems that there are millions of people or, uh, that are in unhappy relationships, and I wondered if the timing of your program had anything to do with the upcoming event that is so ever awkward for so many people, and that's the Thanksgiving holiday and the holidays in general, which can sometimes be 
uh, the most difficult for families uh, and friends. So uh, talk about uh, unhappy romantic relationships within the context of the holidays, if you will. I will. So it's not just unhappy romantic relationships, although that's my last book. I'm working on my next book is Unhappy Platonic Relationships, which would uh, touch a great deal on this. But here it is. You know, we, we enter the holiday with cultural expectations, like this is going to be a happy time. And for many of us, it is. But sometimes, you know, we don't like our relatives or we've just had a fight with our spouse or our, our romantic relationship is ending and we're miserable and we're trying to be happy or look, have that look good happy, and it just doesn't work. So how do we come to terms with that and respect our own feelings? And I created this concept called unhappiness rituals. And what that is about, in short, is we enter into a way of thinking that we know leads to our unhappiness. And how do we get out of that is the question. So for the holidays, whatever is making you unhappy, what could you do differently? And we're going to investigate this in our first program, and, and the, the first group of programs will be dealing with uh, challenges that the holidays bring us. And also, um, lastly, there's a lot of grief for many of us attached to holidays because the old happy rituals have been replaced with being alone or being in an unhappy relationship or um, we aren't experiencing what we used to as a child. And there's a lot of grief around that, and we try to put on a happy face, and it's contradictory to how we're feeling inside. Well, you know, uh, also within this uh, context of uh, setting up some structure for having a, a healthier interaction uh, amongst friends and family members, I, this uh, and you'll have to pardon me, this is uh, somewhat uh, humorous, but I think there's uh, some uh, validity to this because... You brought up the term, and it's a. I to me, I I think it's a great term. Um, I I can see the having a program or having a uh, a theme of you can be a little bit sarcastic, but don't be too snarky. <laughs> don't you love that word, snarky? <laughs> yeah, snarky is a great word. It's it's really, uh, and you know, uh, uh, you can even be uh, humorously snarky. Uh, so that you're not uh, uh, too offensive or, you know, hurting someone's feelings because uh, snarky and sarcasm go together. But you and I also, uh, in our in our early chat, talked about humor being uh, such yeah. a, a, a great mechanism. Absolutely. Boy, if we can't laugh at ourselves and with others, not at others, but with them, we've lost a lot of joy in life because uh, it helps us actually... There's a, a lot of medical research about laughter and, and healing physical ailments. So laughter is very, very important. And if we can laugh ourselves through the holidays and find humor in what Uncle Henry said that is usually insulting, <laughs> my made-up Uncle Henry, then we'll get through it in a whole different perspective than in the suffering and, oh, my God, I don't want to cook another turkey. Well, you had shared with me a story, and we're not going to go into it because you can. We can also offer this up as a teaser uh, to get folks to tune in. But a, a story of someone who has virtually laughed her way into uh, uh, better health, we'll say. Um, okay. Now, now I want to ask you this uh, one uh, 
could be our, our last question, uh, Dr. Ann, but how do you personally, uh, what do you do for your own mental health? Because you are bombarded with other people's problems. And I uh, learned early on, uh, one thing I shared with you was a, uh, a, uh, a faculty member who was a, a psychologist who said that he thought that oftentimes people in the helping professions uh, did not insulate or sufficiently insulate or isolate themselves from their day's work uh, and that they sort of took on the problems and the burdens of, uh, of their, their uh, patients. So what do you do for mental health? Do you exercise, diet, yoga, family, friends, uh, pets, romance, adventure? Well, what helps you maintain a healthy outlook in life? Well, I'll tell you the expected answer, and then I'll tell you the embarrassing one. Okay. So the expected answer is I do exercise. I work with a trainer once a week at, at my gym, and that really helps. And I um, take walks, and I read, and I write books. It's very cathartic <clears throat> for me. Now, the embarrassing answer is um, I have two ragamuffin kittens. And uh, much to my husband's embarrassment, I bought a kitty stroller that keeps them inside. It's covered with netting, and it zips shut. And I take them for walks. And my husband is such a kind guy, he goes with me, even though I think he's a little embarrassed. So we walk the streets and take the kitties for walks, and I pet them. And, and what's even more embarrassing is I play Brahms Lullaby for them so they can hear it. And that helps me a lot. I'm out in nature. The kitties love it because they're indoor cats, and um, that's my embarrassing confession for you. Well, you know, I think that uh, you've probably made a lot of uh, uh, cat lovers and pet lovers out there very happy uh, to, to hear about your uh, your care, uh, uh, your loving care of your uh, your kittens or your cats. Uh, Dr. Ann, I want to thank you very much uh, for being on the program today, and I wish you very much luck on your uh, program, uh, Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio, coming up on November 21st. Thank you so much, Ron. It's been a pleasure to be your guest. We've been talking with Dr. Ann Schiebert, uh, a clinical psychologist. As we mentioned, she has a program coming up on November 21st. You've been listening to America's Web Radio and the Business Hour. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you on the radio and the Internet next week.